She's been the BBC's official guide to unofficial fandom, and her after shows have brought the cast and crew to you as soon as the credits roll. For July 10th, Alyssa speaks to the host of Doctor Who, The Fan Show, Crystal D, on This Week in Time Travel. Well, this is a new experience for us. Chip, we have a week with actual news to discuss in it. But a week without Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I guess there are trade-offs. I'd rather have the Doctor Who and then no news to discuss. The first bit of news is non-news or anti-news, I suppose, that uh, we talked a little bit earlier that one of the candidates for the next Doctor that was being mooted was Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who has been most recently seen in Fleabag, which I have finally started watching because I was thinking, yeah, she would make a great doctor. Her agents and representatives say, no, really, she's not going to be the next doctor. And then legions of us were over in the corner sobbing. I mean... She'd be perfect. I'm only now getting into Fleabag, but instantly I was like... Yes, she'd be perfect. She's off-putting and winning in just sort of this weird alchemical way. Just, uh, yeah, she would have been awesome, but no. She would have been. I mean, I think, you know, as Sage Young, our friend from Head Over Feels, said on Twitter, it was very unlikely that she would want to leave her own projects to go beyond Doctor Who. Um, But, you know, I'm still going to be a little sad over here in the corner because she would have been just absolutely perfect for this. The other bit of exciting news that we have coming out this week is very, very unconfirmed rumors. So take this all with a good heaping of salt. But people are saying that Jenna Coleman may just show up at the Christmas special, a la Karen Gillan for Time of the Doctor. So we still don't know about anyone confirmed except for Peter Capaldi and David Bradley. But I've got my fingers crossed that we get the Doctor's previous companions come back to uh, say farewell. Yeah, uh, I don't think that the um, montage of all of the new series uh, companions uh, is enough uh, that we got in um, uh, The Doctor Falls. But uh, I am super excited to about the prospect of her showing up it's sort of like karen gillen's appearance was taken in some corners as a diss to uh jenna coleman because you know she's not the current companion she's former companion this should be jenna's moment um but if we're going to do it that way let's do it the same way i mean Bill is in all likelihood not going to be the active companion for the Christmas episode. Uh, We've gotten no sense that she's going to be a regular. I would like to see them and uh, Matt Lucas at least show up a little bit towards the end. Yeah, I think I was a little bit mixed on Karen Gillan's appearance uh, in Time of the Doctor. You know, it it, it, it did stand out a little bit weirdly for me it didn't seem like a natural flow of having her in um but we are gonna have no active companions for this one um so i would be fine with an appearance from any and all of the 12th doctor's companions to uh say farewell i'm still holding out for sai and sabra 
From Time Heist. From Time Heist. Let's oh. get the gang back together again. Oh, my God. Actually, yes. Nope. That's what I want. That's what I want for this series finale. <laughs> <laughs> Took way too long for me to figure out what you were talking about. I'm going to go sit in the corner of shame now. I'm so totally not editing out that long moment of blank silence there. Um, oh, God. Uh, but uh, let's see here. Last bit of news. Last bit of stats for the season. Um, the appreciation index for the Doctor Falls. Um, we had a lot of comments about our review last time, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. The general public seemed to take to the Doctor Falls pretty darn well. The appreciation index was an 83. That is a good rating. That is pretty much standard for most of the season that we've had. The people who've tuned in to Doctor Who, uh, despite the glorious weather and people having this unaccountable desire to go out and do things rather than watch the show at the time off. Anyway, the people who did watch the show at the time off, they really liked what they got. And there was a lot to like about last week's episode. Absolutely. So it's exciting to see Peter Capaldi ending his season on a high note with lots of appreciation from viewers and fans. Yep. So we will have final thoughts about Series 10 in a bit, but first, here's Alyssa's interview with Doctor Who, the fan show's Crystal D. We'll be right back. I'm here today with Crystal D, the host of Doctor Who, the fan show. Crystal, welcome so much to this week in time travel. We're so happy to have you with us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, wow, we've just seen the series finale, and that was just so much going on there. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, what was your reaction to that whole finale episode? Oh, my God. <laughs> just so, so shook. Um, 11, episode 11, I would say that I was just really in shock, just that all of the things that happened in it and the, the amazing cliffhanger. But the finale, I actually just find, I found, I found the finale quite emotionally, I don't know, emotionally kind of challenging. <laughs> um, How so? It was brilliant. It, well, I mean, you know, you've got uh, the Doctor, it's, it, you know, it is the end of Peter's era. Uh, mm -hmm. Not quite, okay, yes, we've got Christmas left, but it's the last full series that we're going to get. And nothing prepares you really to see a doctor that you love um go and start saying his final lines and and that's kind of what was happening and obviously he shuts it off and then we've got a christmas special which is coming up but it was so it was that and it was the doctor's amazing speech with the, the two masters that got me going and obviously heather at the end with uh with bill um uh just like so many things happen. It's it. I I thought it was quite heavy, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then having the first Doctor come back, and uh, my speculation is they both seem to be about to regenerate. If I read that scene correctly, like that's going to be really emotional. Well, that is so exciting. I, I remember hearing rumors about it, um, and I think I read in Doctor Who magazine ages ago that somebody asked Stephen if you know David Bradley would come back, um, and. I think he said something along the lines of, well, he was in he was in an adventure in space and time, and that would completely kind of undermine his performance in that. And he did such a brilliant job. He wouldn't want to have him ruin it and have him in dog. Not ruin it, but like, 
it's one of those things yeah like you don't want to do that too much and um and I think he was he was really probably just going oh well I'll just you know (laughs) (laughs) I'll just lie um so I honestly didn't see it coming and I remember like hearing rumors about it I was like nah but um yeah no it's it's really exciting really exciting and it'll be great to see those two I think um on screen together absolutely yeah what has your favorite moment been from series 10 because this has just been a real whirlwind of a series how how can I pick one favorite (laughs) well I'll tell you what like I think there's been a lot of there's been a lot of brilliant moments uh brilliant moments that just make me you know smile or make me you know moved but I think there's one moment that I will always remember as a, as a highlight a sort of defining moment for the 12th doctor's era and that is that speech with the two masters oh. um i think that is uh i think that is peter capaldi's peter capaldi's doctor's iconic speech i thought you know obviously with series nine we thought it was the uh zygon well i thought it was a zygon speech mm-hmm. i think that is also a phenomenal speech about war but what I liked about this speech was that he basically perfectly sums up uh, why the Doctor does what he does and who the Doctor is. And uh, he is just so inspiring as a person. And um, and I, I just, I loved it so much. And so for me, that scene, I watched it again today and it's just been running through my head all day. Um, it really sort of, it's sort of imprinted on my brain now because uh, it's just so fantastic and Peter's acting in that is you know phenomenal the the amazing thing is I find that you know having you know I'm lucky enough to have read the the scripts for series 10 because obviously I work at the BBC mm-hmm. and work on the fan show and when you're reading stuff in writing um written down you do you, you know yes you do often read the character's voice in your head but what is amazing is seeing how an actor interprets that and seeing how he's chosen to deliver those lines and all of the like where he, he chooses to take pauses and and how certain words will he'll land certain words and you and it really really gets to you and I just think that's it yeah it's so amazing um but yeah like that speech is so good so it good. is it gets right to the heart of who Capaldi's character is you know yeah. especially over the last couple of seasons what he's been digging into for it yeah. So yeah. the fan show's new after show format for series 10 really added a lot of wonderful details and depth to the series. Your interview with Peter is one of my favorites and Rachel, no rules Talalay in this last episode. Oh, yeah. Everyone's hair is great. <laughs> Top of the locks, everybody wins. <laughs> so I what, love that. What has yeah. been your favorite moment or insight that you've gotten from an interview so far in the after show? I actually think... Doing the after shows, what's been a common theme coming up in a lot of the interviews is firstly how organic the process is. So we always think that Doctor Who, I think as fans, we think it's written and done before they start shooting. And actually, up until the last minute, they're they're being rewritten and bits added to. And, you know, for instance, that monk three-parter in the middle Stephen knew that he wanted to have a mid-season epic, but wasn't you know it wasn't as clear cut as that to be to begin with. And um, 
Jamie Matheson wrote The Doctor's Blindness and he thought that was brilliant. So he carried that over and tied it into The the Monks, which was a, uh, a new monster. So there was the blindness from that. And then there was the new monsters, The Monks and uh, Toby Whithouse and Peter Harness came in and contributed uh, their sto- their own stories, which in the end, with Stephen, just cr- like all tied up together to create this amazing three-parter. Um, and then the the vault arc was something something that they came up with last minute. It was uh, it was sort of they they come up with it and they worked it backwards. And we think, oh, maybe actually the arc is the thing that you start with. And actually, it was one of the last things that they they did. So. And then all of the things that come up on set as well, all of the, you know, the way that the first time the actors rehearse together is on set in costume. They do a rehearsal and then they go for a take. And in their heads, they've they've rehearsed their lines at home, but they'll come in and then suddenly the the other actor they're acting alongside has said it completely different. And they're like, oh, so my, the way I'm saying it doesn't work anymore. So I'm going to have to change that. So there's all that as well. And even Rachel Talale with Peter Capaldi, it's just like it's a she's not just telling him what to do. It's a two way process. It's a you know, they're constantly chatting on set and contributing ideas. He's you know, Peter's always contributing ideas. And, uh, you know, and then she she'll come to him with stuff and see what he thinks. And so I always thought it would be a really rigid process. And it's really not. It's it's really organic, um, I think. Yeah. One thing I really am sad we didn't see on the after show was uh, was Pearl Mackey showing us her Scottish accent when she would pretend to do Peter's lines oh, while she was rehearsing. I tried. <laughs> I tried. I was like, you have to, you have to show us, like, you have to do it for us. And she was just like, no. I'll save that for <laughs> conventions, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you were a massive Doctor Who fan well before you became the host of the fan show. What's it been like for you to make that transition from being, if we can say, quote unquote, just a fan (laughs) to being a part of the extended official BBC family? It's a weird one um, because I was working in TV before this anyway. I was working in the media. So I was working in the industry. um, And so it wasn't odd in that sense. It was like what I had been doing, I'd been working in digital media and uh, specifically YouTube. But what was weird was being a fan, definitely being a fan and being professional. For my first year, that was really weird. And definitely interviewing Peter Capaldi that first time, I am so nervous in that video. I barely speak in that video. I am just looking at Peter Capaldi and going, yeah, yeah, no, you're so amazing. Oh, you're just like you're the doctor. Oh my god! And I'm just that is basically me. Um, so that was quite odd. Uh, it was odd, kind of having to just focus and like, well, I've got to be pre- professional. I can't be phased by people, even though they're amazing. You have you've got a job to do. Mm-hmm. So, but you know that comes with also you know you get better at it with practice, and uh, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, and the less nervous you get. Uh, and stuff like that so so yeah so initially it was a bit odd but you know obviously as a fan Doctor Who fan uh, and somebody who wanted to do presenting and was hoping to do presenting as a job for those two things to come together I mean I never thought you know I could be presenting something that was Doctor Who because the the job didn't exist when you know when I wanted to be when I decided I wanted to be a presenter I thought I'd go into kids tv um but then they were looking for a host for a Doctor Who thing, the fan show. 
and they found my YouTube videos online and I was invited to audition. And then um, when and then I did an interview to, to, uh, for the researcher role that they, that was going at the time. Um, and so I ended up getting both jobs. So, so yeah, it was weird how it come about, but obviously, yeah, like, you know, dream job, you know, to be able to get up in the morning and work on the thing that, ha- you know, you love and that has inspired you, you know, for the last 12 years. Um, I mean, the reason why I wanted to do TV and do media is because of Doctor Who. So, um, yeah, it's very, you know, it's very surreal. And I think, you know, here I am two and a half years down the line. And I think you still, feel, I still feel very fortunate to, to still be here <laughs> uh, and to be able to get up in the morning and, yeah, and, and, and know that I'm, you know, doing something that's going to get watched by people, that, that it's going to benefit them, it's, you know, it's going to inform them and it hopefully cheer them up a little bit as well. Like, that's that's awesome to be able to do that. It's like it's all come full circle. Doctor Who brought you into media and then now you're in the industry working on Doctor Who as well. It's, yeah, it's strange. The other thing I should probably mention as well is, is uh, obviously because I work for the BBC now, I know... I know all of the secrets. Um, <laughs> so obviously the hard uh, not being able to talk about those secrets, um, hearing about things uh, slightly earlier than most. Um, obviously, like, I mean, I have to know because we have to prepare for things, plot points in a series, like looking at the script and looking at maybe photos in advance, just get an idea of what the episode's about so, so I can write some questions around them and then, like, see the episode uh hopefully in the finished finished condition but like quite often we'd be watching the episodes in advance uh, and they'd be work in progress um versions which was weird because obviously as a fan you know at the end of the day I would still much rather sit down on a Saturday night and watch it with everyone else Mm -hmm. um because what because you end up seeing like a weird kind of not very finished version with guide music and the CGI not finished. It's a very odd experience, but but a really interesting one. So it's sort of just a different perspective. It's not ruined it, it's just changed it. Um, and we're actually very fortunate to have been able to see Doctor Who from that angle. So I find that quite odd, actually. How do you make time, though, to still be a fan, to cosplay and do five Who fans and keep that part of your life fun and exciting instead of, well, what it could be, which is work? At first, it was definitely, you know, I, I had quite a lot of energy to do Doctor Who constantly and, like, do Doctor Who for work and come home to do Five Who fans and do cosplay. And for the first year or two, that was okay. I found recently that um, doc, you can, there is such thing as, like, too much Doctor Who. <laughs> and so I really know, genuinely, you might not think it's possible, but sometimes I'll get home and I will be like, I've been filming all day. I'm really tired. Do I want to make a Five Who Fans video now? No, I want to go and play with my kitties. <laughs> and I'm just like, so sometimes sometimes I'm just like, because it is my job, which obviously I love. Sometimes when I get home, I am just like, uh, can I have just a nap first, please, before I do my video? So <laughs> so sometimes I just basically, what I'm, what I'm getting to is that I just have to, I have to take time to do other things. So I do martial arts and I do uh, a lot, do a lot of gym stuff. I've got lots of other hobbies as well and lots of other interests. So I just have to mix it up in between those things. And I'll still do, you know, filming on weekends and, and I'll still, I'll watch Doctor Who with friends, but it's not like I'll go home and then just binge watch Doctor Who all evening because that would be too much. It's something I've 
struggling with a little bit now is I do podcast blogging and watching it. And yeah. I also have my day job at the day. And there's, you know, there's comes a point where I, I almost feel like I'm reaching a little bit of burnout as I'm trying to prepare yes. for the next convention and record like three podcasts. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I've not been to that many conventions recently. Like I've kind of, I've not, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't go to them as much as I used to. Um, I've not been doing that in the last, in the last year. I haven't really done that many new cosplays probably since like, not many new Doctor Who cosplays anyway. Um, because like, I'm so, I'm so good at burning myself out and doing 101 things. And in the last year, at a personal level, I've been trying to look after myself a little bit better. And I've been trying to say, do you know what, Crystal, you need to just drop some projects. So sometimes I am just like, actually, maybe it's okay if I just like, don't do this cosplay and just go and like a cosplay that I've already got. Or like, maybe it's okay to do a two minute video instead of a five minute video for five who fans <laughs> and it's just making like small adjustments like that and just trying not to do too much because at the end of the day you still have to have time to wind down and chill out and stuff and I still want to be able to do these things but um you've got to look after yourself as well because like at the end of the day you're not getting like five who fans is a hobby I'm not doing this like as a job mm-hmm. it's something that's voluntary so it, you've got to make it enjoyable still I think exactly yeah yeah and on the subject of burnout, sense. yeah, yeah. What do you think makes fandom so important, and what is it particularly? Do you think that makes the Doctor Who fandom so special? Fandom is something that not everybody in the world will ever experience because it is a certain type of person who is drawn to fandom. And I think it's somebody who likes to escape, somebody who likes stories and fantasy and um fun and for things to inspire them and I think Doctor Who is such a great program to inspire you and to make you just feel really good um and and I think what's so great is the doctor the character of the doctor um is is so accepting of everybody um he doesn't see race gender color sexuality uh, all of those things are irrelevant in Doctor Who. It's it's one of the rare things actually that, like in, in film and TV, most programs have like definitely traditional telly. It's changing a bit now, but traditional tr- traditional telly, there'd always be some kind of like uh, quite often like a romantic story, like with the main characters. Like it's always like a guy going after a girl, and it's always like there's always that going on, and it's like. There's always stuff. It's just like so. I don't know. Like sometimes you just don't want that, and you just want somebody who's just going to be completely like, right, all, all that stuff. Like that's all irrelevant. We're just going to go and see the universe and battle some monsters, and that's what we're going to do. And so I think that's why like people from all different kinds of walks of life, um, all different parts of the world, gravitate towards Doctor Who because it's not like I don't know how to explain this but it's so open like it's so there's so many like stories the, to tell yeah there's so many stories to tell and it's not just like one thing it's not just telling one story and it's not just like the character the character of the doctor is so the people who walk in, in and out of his life yeah they do they are human beings and they do have problems and issues and they have got their own perspectives and they come from different cultures and backgrounds and and it's his interaction interactions with those people and how he 
nurtures them and brings out the best of them that is what is inspiring and I think that's what draws people in um unlike other tv shows I think it's yeah I think it's that fandom I know you know fandom is you know it is it's really hard to explain it when you're in it actually because Mm -hmm. I, I found that I didn't actually start using the term fandom until like a few years ago um because at first when I first got into Doctor Who I've always been a bit nerdy I love I've always loved comics and, and uh, I used to read before Doctor Who it was like anime and manga and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then got to Doctor Who, got really into that. And I get really obsessed with the characters. I have to know everything about them. I have to know, like, just forensically, I can't just watch as a casual viewer. I have to just know everything. And and I'm really invested emotionally in the characters. Like, uh, I always really cared about them. And, and I found that I found this, you know, this was me when I was about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. But there was nobody else like me and there's nobody else at school like me. And I was just like, just like, oh, like, I'm just like really weird. Like no one else has this passion. Like I talk about a TV show and they're just like, yeah, it's just a TV show. And there are people that you meet and they're just like, why are you so obsessed with this? I'm not into anything. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, like I watch something, but like I'm not I don't really that ca- I don't really care that much. So I'm just like, what? Um, like they make you feel over-invested in the show. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then I went to my first convention when I was 13 and suddenly I was like, oh my God, there are so many people like me. And that was how, yeah, that was my first experience in well, fandom. I started meeting lots of Doctor Who fans, uh, made lots of friends and stuff. And like, it just went from there. And then I, it wasn't until this notion of fandom and I started just so, seeing people talking about it being a fandom online. I was like, oh, okay this is like when I was like 15, 16, maybe actually, maybe a bit longer than a few years ago. But like, I was like, okay, so it is a thing. Like, it's a, like, there were, like, people do gravitate towards, who like Doctor Who do gravitate towards each other. And you, uh, there's a whole community. Like, um, yeah, it's great. It's really, yeah. We seem to find each other. But the internet, the internet, like, let's face it, the internet is the reason why, I think one of the reasons, biggest reason why fandom exists. Yeah. Like, how how could we all find each other? Like, um, you know, in the last 10 years, uh, you know, 10, 15 years, conventions have just exploded. And mm-hmm. I think the way that people can chat and share their passion online with other people, with strangers, like, let's face it, people that you've never even met before, you can make, your be- you can make like, your best friends online. All, all of the Five Who fans, like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we all knew each other online. Um and I just think I, I often forget that actually I often forget that like so many of my friends I've met either at conventions or online it's the thing about fandom though you start trying to think about it and parse out what it makes it so special there doesn't seem to be many words for it, it just it no. is I'm trying to explain it I'm not doing a very good job of it it's, I'm just like, I'm like, trying to explain it from my perspective that it's just like an amazing feeling of feeling part of something and feeling like there are other people like you who also share the same passion and get as invested into the, in the show and into the characters as you. And that's just a really nice, really nice thing, I think. So you've gotten to know a lot of the creators behind Doctor Who as you've been hosting the fan show. You've had producers, writers, directors, mm-hmm. designers all come on to talk about their work. Is there one thing you'd want the rest of fandom to know about the people who make Doctor Who? The main thing I and I tell a lot of my friends this is how hard 
the people on the show work and this includes the people at the top like Stephen uh Stephen Moffat obviously yeah Peter Capaldi all, all of the directors down to the down to the runners on set and down to the crew what's really struck me is how tight the deadlines are on Doctor Who it is a mad show it is 12 hour days for nine or ten months of the year these people rarely see their family they come from all kinds of different places Rachel Talale has come over from, come over from uh, your side of the pond and stuff and these people are giving up their lives to film this incredible show but it's hard work and um as I say that you know as I said earlier they're right they're writing and putting things together up until the last minute um and then they get, get costumes ready and they've got to plan it and stuff like that and and then, you know, and then there's all the editing to do. And, and you know, Stephen said that, he, you know, episode 12 had been finished, you know, when he we interviewed him uh, in Cardiff. Uh, and that this was like a week, it's like a week before transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was going off to do more grading, more, you know, stuff on it. And it's like, oh, my God, these people bend over backwards, backwards to get this show out uh, on time and and to put this also doctor who is the most ambitious show the most ambitious show ever it's amazing it's so good like they work so hard so i think when you're a fan and like i've been i've been really privileged to have had this perspective and i know not everyone's gonna have this perspective but when you're a fan you're like moaning about what you don't like like and i know that like there are always going to be some things that you know that, that aren't for you there might be a bit in an episode where you think oh that wasn't for me and mm-hmm. I know but I do know that some people really really moan about Doctor Who because I know a lot of Doctor Who fans <laughs> Doctor Who fans get very passionate about what it's they don't like. It's our pastime in this fandom moaning about Doctor it Who. It is <laughs> it is but what you have to what you have to remember is there are human beings working very hard uh, to make this show and and it's like if you think about saying that to that person would you say it to their face probably right. not that's why it's changed my perspective like I don't really I, I'm never really, I've never really moaned about Doctor Who that much like a kind of quite positive quite positive quite positive person but um it has changed my perspective like it really has definitely yeah well, Crystal thank you so much for joining us uh, for chatting with us today we really loved having you with us oh, oh thank you This week on The Incomparable Network... Sophomore Lit goes back to the source material for the chilling Hulu series, Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale. Captain Sisko punches Q in the face. Picard never did that! In the Deep Space Nine episode, Q-less, covered on Random Trek. And the three horsemen interview Locus award-winning novelist and writer of Marvel's Black Bolt, Saladin Ahmed. All this and more at theincomparable.com. So now that series 10 has come to an end, let's take a moment to sit back and reflect on the entire series as a whole, because we don't have a new episode to watch this Saturday. So what else are we going to do? Sort of marinate and ruminate and cry a little bit that we don't get any more episodes until Christmas. You know, 
especially after uh, last week's episode and uh, the reaction from uh, different corners. Uh, I think I've said before that Doctor Who feels like a Rorschach test to me, that what you get out of Doctor Who any any given episode um, depends to a huge extent on what you bring to the party. I thought that this was a really, really good series of Doctor Who, and there were problems with it that really bothered me, but not other people. At the same time, there were also some glorious things that happened in this series. I guess I I don't want to be... Saying that it was a mixed bag is too mild a statement, um, but... You know, when things are, when you run into some problematic things, such as the treatment of Bill, sort of her character arc, uh, or or lack thereof, and uh, the treatment of the character in the last couple of episodes, you know, there is there is such a thing as problematic faves. Doctor Who is still a fave, and I did enjoy this series quite a bit, but uh, some of the some of the things that happened, I really wish had been done differently you know it's always a little bit like that for me um with doctor who and really all of pop culture you know i think that there's very few people that go into a tv show and immediately like every single little thing that they do we like some stuff we don't like some stuff that's the nature of watching pop culture but i think that there are certain segments of fandom that are more willing to hear complaints in some regards than in others. And that's particularly when you come in with uh, a little bit of a different or marginalized perspective on it. Uh, now, I want to talk a little bit briefly about our the reaction to last week's review. Um, there were some passionate feelings about The Doctor Falls. There's no doubt about that. Um, and most of the feedback that we got was great. But there was a small, very vocal segment of people who wanted to come in to tell us not only were we wrong, but that racism, sexism, and bias against queer people didn't exist at all in the UK, and that we were entirely wrong to be bringing a US perspective on these issues to a discussion of a British TV show. Um, Now, first and foremost, I have to address the fact that factually, that's just wrong. Like, like it is just factually wrong. And we talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but all it takes is, you know, a quick Google search about these issues. And you can find many, many recent cases that prove that this is just not true, that uh, black women, queer people in the UK still do face bias, harassment, abuse. It's a thing. It's not, you know, the end of the world to admit that it happens. It just is there. We obviously have an American perspective on this, given that we are all Americans, but we listen to our friends in the UK about the issues that they face. We listen to what people say online that maybe we don't know or that we're only acquaintances with, and we hear about what they go through. And we know that these issues are global. We felt that it was appropriate to talk about them. Now, you don't need to agree with the way that we applied our personal perspectives on these issues to the show. That's fine. You can interpret it in an entirely different way. I've talked with many people who interpret the scenes very differently than I do. Denying that these problems exist is not something that 
we can do. That does a disservice to everyone. Um, so we want to thank the people um, that were willing to engage with us in that conversation uh, about that. Um, the last thing I think I want to say is that, you know, I come to these reviews with a perspective that many people think is inherently political. You know, I advertise myself online as Whovian feminism. I've, I've got a little bit of a viewpoint here, but it's all very personal to me as well. You know, I'm looking for good representation in media as a woman, as a queer person. I look at my friends uh, who are African-American, Black, people of color, and I want them to feel like they're getting good representation too. The personal is political, and even if you don't think you have a political stake in this, the fact that you think these issues are too political to discuss in a television show inherently shows you have a political perspective on it, that you would not like to discuss the viewpoints of these people. Now, everyone comes in with their own personal memories and feelings and things about the show. That's all valid. That's all something we should be doing. Um, so I think the conversation continues about this. Absolutely. Um, it was a shame that uh, our our fourth horseman, as it were, Tom Adda, has been away from the podcast for a while because he is, as we introduced him back in the beginning, he is a blues man. He is a touring musician, and he has just not been available. And it would have been great to have had his uh, perspective as part of the conversation last time around. But uh, this is a fairly well-represented uh, group of uh, Doctor Who fans that are on the podcast as it is, and we do our best to try to be uh, well-rounded and thoughtful about it. And, you know, I don't think that there's anybody, uh, in response to one particular commenter, um, I don't think that there's anybody on this podcast who sucks the joy out of Doctor Who in any possible way. Um, I think our reaction to last week was, in fact, that there were many moments of joy, but also moments that felt like, you know, kind of hurt a little bit or were kind of hard to watch. And it's valid to talk about both the things that bring us joy and the things that hurt a little bit. That's right. And there is also a difference between things that happen in stories because they are that they um, create drama and things that happen uh, to characters that resonate in a different way for for the viewer than I'm sure the the creators intended. So that's as much as I'd like to get into about sort of recapping our last review. Getting on to series ten as a whole, uh, Alyssa, you were just on as we record this the incomparables uh season ending roundtable which dropped just a day or two before this episode dropped what was the crowd like on uh as they were talking about that episode there oh it's a great crowd you know we all had a lot of feelings about this season um and a lot of very different perspectives you know you talk about how doctor who is such a rorschach test this is definitely uh, a Rorschach test season for everyone. Everyone had episodes that were their favorites for very different reasons. Uh, we talked about some of the episodes that we didn't like as much. And again, whole wide range of perspectives and opinions based off what we like to see in Doctor Who. But it was a good, exciting crowd, and we had some great conversations. So after you listen to This Week in Time Travel, you should go check me out on the Incomparables Series 10 Roundup. 
That's episode 361, and uh, Alyssa was joined by Jason Snell, Gene McDonald, Glenn Fleischman, and David J. Lore, who designed our logo, don't you know? As far as this being Peter Capaldi's last season, Alyssa, I think I started off the season uh, just sort of trying to figure out which Capaldi we were going to get, and uh, I want to know... Which Capaldi do you think you got, and which is your favorite Capaldi? I think we got a Capaldi that was very right in the middle between Series 8 and Series 9. Um, he was not quite as, uh, I don't know exactly how to describe it, he wasn't quite as rebel punk Time Lord in Series 10 as he was in Series 9. You know, it's definitely there, it's definitely underneath the surface, Um but he was a little bit, you know, he seemed more tired through this season. And I don't think that's a statement at all at Capaldi. I think that's a statement on how he's choosing to play this character. You know, at this point, he's been in one place for potentially centuries as he's keeping a hold of Missy in her vault for her punishment. Um, and he's, you know, he's feeling a little trapped in one place and he's playing that as a very sort of tired character. Um, but he's not quite to the level of he was in series eight. You know, he's a little bit more cynical about things, but he hasn't gone, you know, full series eight. My care is here, so I don't have to yeah. uh, kind of character. Um, so I liked the balance between them. What about uh, you, Chip? I think this was peak Capaldi in a lot of ways. Um, I thought he made more sense to me than Series 9 Capaldi. Um, he had the edge that he seemed to have lost a little bit last time around. It seemed like C C Series 9 Capaldi was midlife crisis Capaldi. Um, he was trying to live it up he had sort of having decided that he was a good man he decided that he was going to try to be a fun man and sort of raging against the dying of the light and the series nine arc was all about a fairly addictive relationship between him and clara and between clara and the and, and the lifestyle that they had chosen with him having forgotten all of the emotional beats of that um of, of that story of that story arc and you know he it feels like he's sort of come back but not in that harsh or needlessly cruel way that he occasionally lapsed into in series eight he's he's tough and practical but he is still fundamentally a good man and he doesn't have any serious questions about whether he is a good man and I thought that that was, I, I thought that I finally had a sense of who he was, um, and which is all the more frustrating because, of course, we're going to lose him this Christmas. Yes. So ranking all of Capaldi's seasons together, which one is your favorite? How did series 10 rate against eight and nine for you? This is, this is my favorite, followed by eight. Uh, with nine bringing up the rear, and it's not like I think nine is awful, but um, I think his character is more consistent in series eight, and it's even more consistent in series 10, plus the character has a reserve of likability that he just didn't have right at the beginning. Uh, Very different for me. 
So I rank uh, Series 9 as still being my favorite. Um, I thought that there was a great arc between um, the Doctor uh, and Clara. um, And I thought that there was a really interesting dynamic there and that they really built out the whole arc for both of those characters very well throughout that season. Um, I rate uh, Series 10 as being sort of my middle season. um, That for me, uh, the episode quality went a little bit more more up and down for me. So there was a lot of moments that I liked and a lot of moments that were very shaky for me. Um, But overall, um, I loved the addition of Bill. um, And I thought Peter Capaldi was really just on point and stellar this entire season. Uh, And series eight uh, ranks at the bottom, not not because I think it's bad. You know, I still think it's a quality. I'd still rate these three series as being some of my favorite um, series of Doctor Who um, for the the new series. Um, But it's just, he's a much harsher character then. And I actually feel I had less of a grip on who his character was supposed to be in series eight than in nine or 10. Mm. Series nine... What I wasn't expecting was, you know, there have been Hartnell references in Capaldi's performance. There's been a heck of a lot of uh, Pertwee, especially early on, you know, um, a little bit of the manipulation of the Seventh Doctor. What I really wasn't expecting and I wasn't super thrilled with in Series 9 was the Tom Bakerfication of Peter Capaldi. I thought that there was a little too much Tom Baker to him uh, then, and that was that was that was that was difficult. But then, I am I am a stick in the mud, Alyssa. I if I if you give me a doctor, I somewhat expect to see that doctor for the next three years, and in my head. <laughs> Peter Capaldi still has short hair and that Crombie coat and all this other stuff, you know. And as he drifted away further and further from that, I wasn't, I, um, you know, all right, I'll say this. I imprinted on him and he went and changed. I went and he went and changed on me. Baby duckling chip doesn't like change. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell am I doing being a fan of this show? Um, This is all about change, hon. It's it's maybe a little bit too late to tell you, but if you don't like change, (laughs) this is going to be a really hard journey for you. Uh, And that's a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) We're going to wrap it up now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, this season, of course, Pearl Mackey is Bill. And uh, I don't think you'll get any question of her acting chops uh, and the um, just the delight that we had in watching her work. I loved her. I loved her to pieces. I thought she was absolutely amazing. Um, I loved that. You know, there were moments that they really committed to providing good representation for queer women on screen, you know, that. In the end, queer love saves the girl instead of dooming her. And like, I literally have a mountain of evidence on the other side that says in pop culture, most of the time, queer love kills the woman instead of saves the woman. So that was very uh, wonderful for me. Uh, Actually seeing a kiss between Bill and another girl, another notch uh, for them. Uh, That is so rare. And they it was just so well done. And I loved that moment. Um, I do think that 
she was a little bit, you know, her story was a little underserved this season. There were some uh, episodes that really were devoted to building the relationship between her and the doctor. You know, I thought the pilot was an excellent episode, uh, very Rose-like for me, that it committed to giving us a view of this character um, and how the arrival of the doctor sort of changes her life. Um, I thought Thin Ice was a very good episode to establish sort of the relationship that uh, the 12th Doctor and Bill would have, you know, that sort of bantering dynamic, a little bit professor teacher, but, you know, rebel professor plus rebel student going off and doing their own things and not following a curriculum. What the hell is it you're suggesting that we do now? Um, So I thought that was really great. I do think, though, that there wasn't really a compelling total arc for her. You know, we got to the end of the series and we're supposed to be thrilled she's going off with Heather, which, you know, it's is nice to a certain degree, but I also felt like they needed to have more time establishing that relationship. You know, like, I think it's great from a representation perspective, but I'm not invested in them as like a ship. I'm not going to like you know, spend my time shipping them. Uh, like, I'll go read the fanfic. Uh, so if you've got your fanfic, send me the links over Twitter because I want it. But uh, from a show perspective, I'm not super committed to it yet. Um, and I do also think Bill's arc was a little, I don't know what the difference between her is in her first episode and her last episode, other than she's been through some shit. Like, has there been a fundamental change in her from traveling with the doctor other than she's been, you know, kind of brutalized in her last couple of episodes? Um, She's offered the choice to travel with Heather in her very first episode, and she's offered it again in her very last one. Um, And the only difference is she says, I've seen some things, so I'm going to lead. I think we could have spent more time establishing that relationship. Yeah. And talk about uh, Rorschach test. um, And uh, I'm I'm doing something awful here because I've been traveling and I haven't had the chance to listen to uh, the full Verity podcast uh, for uh, the last episode um, at the time that we record this. But the pull quote from Tansy Rainer Roberts, who's a wonderful, wonderful contributor on um, Verity, says that she she describes Bill as having had a character arc, a, a hero, a, a hero arc. And I've just got to dive into that podcast because I want to see what she sees, you know? Yeah, I'd be curious to know what her perspective is on that. I think it's possible. And it's sort of uh, just sheer speculation here. It's been widely reported that Stephen Moffat wasn't certain that he was going to be doing this season. And I suspect that Bill's arc, if it is underdone, is in part underdone because it's a one-and-done companion. It was designed to be that way. There was no guarantee or even necessarily an expectation that Chris Chibnall would pick up the character again. What do you do with the companion? Do you give the companion a series-long arc that it's all hers and the story becomes kind of about her the way it was for Rose back in Series 1 in 2005? Or is she just the companion? Because there's so much other stuff to do. You've got the vault subplot. You've got Missy. You've got the monk's arc that happens in the middle. You add Nardole into the mix, who wasn't necessarily going to be part of every episode and then became part of every episode. For all of the additional time that we had in between Series 9 and Series 10, there are some aspects of it that I wish had been baked a little bit better, especially given 
the quality of the scripts that we had in many cases, the quality of the direction, Rachel Talalay is God, and the quality of the actors. This was a great series, I think. Uh, there are just things that I wish had been baked a little longer. Yeah. Speaking of, Nardole, end of the series, how are you feeling about him? <laughs> well, I don't hate him. And, uh, and I've got some friends who do hate him and think he's a complete waste of space that uh, detracted from Bill's presence. When Matt Lucas and Pearl Mackey were playing off of each other, I thought that they were delightful together, generally speaking. And he had some fun moments though there. So I think he was a net plus for the series. But again, I think that they either needed to do more with him or they needed to use him more sparingly to give Bill a little bit more room to shine. That's sort of exactly where I fall. I don't actively hate him. I actually like Matt Lucas quite a bit. Um, I just think that I don't really know, I, even at the end, like, I don't really know what Nardole's purpose was, except for, you know, as Missy said, exposition and comic relief. Right. You know, like, I felt that he should have been used more sparingly and to greater effect, um, or you know, should have probably not used him at all. You know, I, my, my only complaint about him is that he detracted a bit from Bill um, and uh, seeing her character uh, more fully realized. Um, I just, I don't really know what he was doing there. Uh, I don't, I don't hate him, but he's not a, you know, he's not adding anything for me. He was the tin dog. He was, he was the tin dog. I feel kind of bad for him for being the tin dog. Well, I know. I mean, we like K nine. We like John Leeson as K nine. Um, we like John Leeson. His role was to be the smart sidekick who had experience and could do things. I thought that that was fine. I thought that that was fine. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't need a wealth of character development. He was a sidekick, which is less in my estimation than a companion. And I thought that he sort of slotted in fairly well. It's just uh, with a little more, with a little more thought and care, um, they could have used him more judiciously. Yes, agreed. Missy, oh, I'm gonna miss Michelle Gomez. I really hope they bring her back somehow. Ah, well, she says she's not coming back, and then she says never listen to her because she lies. Um, so I don't know which way we're going to go with that. Um, I thought that uh, she, I, I thought that she was bananas. She was, she was just bananas. She was gloriously so. You know, I thought that she has been such an asset to the show since she was introduced in series eight. She is just a glorious, glorious addition to the character of the master. I thought that she did the role spectacularly. Um, and I thought that her chemistry with Peter Capaldi was just great because she's, you know, a little bit of uh, the devil on his shoulder of wanting to push things, wanting to push boundaries, wanting to uh, do the awful naughty thing that you really shouldn't be doing. And you know, he's sort of the exasperated parent following along behind. No, don't do that. No, put that down. No, do not bite them kind yeah. of <laughs> relationship. But it was just it was so wonderful. Um, I mean, she is one of my favorite of the masters, second only to Roger Delgado. Like she and that's a very close, close call there. Mm. Um, I thought that uh, 
this was a great end to her arc um, from series eight. Uh, and, you know, the master's indestructible. They'll yeah, be well, back and hopefully it'll be with Michelle Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. I'm not holding my breath. Uh, what I really hope is that, and again, new showrunner, things are going to change. I'd like to see Missy's experience inform the next master in some way. And regardless of the gender and orientation pairings of the next doctor and the next master, I'd like to see the sort of obsessive care that the doctor and the master have for each other in this season. I'd like to see that explored a little bit more. Um, It would kind of suck if the next doctor is male and the next master is male and they just look at each other the same way that Peter Davison and Anthony Ainley looked at each other or you know you know there was more subtext to for David Tennant and uh John Sim but still I, I let's take what's what's happened here and let's run with it Chibnall are you with all of the Doctor Master shippers? Can I welcome you to the good ship SS Doctor Master now? Like, are you are you over in our boat over here? Well, if it's and my habit back in the day was to look at them sort of the same way that they almost did the reveal in what would have been Delgado's last episode, where it would have been revealed that they were brothers or whatever. These two are tight, and the. Doctor and Missy story made what everybody was happy to read into the story made it part of the text. So it's part of the text now. And See, and, and and Chibnall needs to deal with it. I'm just yep. saying. I'm just hoping he's, you know, it's increasingly unlikely, but I'm still hoping that the next Doctor is a woman and the next Master is Michelle Gomez or another woman. Let's get that queer girl relationship on screen, man. Come on, Chibnall. I've got ideas over here. (laughs) (laughs) And now we get to the most heart-wrenching bit. Peter Capaldi, what a send-off with this series. Uh, What did you think about his final full season with us? I thought it was powerful. I thought it was a great send-off. He said on Graham Norton and in other places that, uh, you know, he wants to leave while he still loves it before he gets to the point where he stops it. And Lord knows that making the show takes a lot out of a person. Um, But this season gave him a lot to work with. And it all comes down to those last... You know, those last five or ten minutes in the TARDIS and in the snow where he's just, you know, resisting, uh, resisting, regenerating. Um, There are some callbacks there to the 10th Doctor, to I Don't Want to Go, to, uh, you know, the Doctor has seen some stuff and he's been through stuff and he is, he is as resistant to this regeneration as the 10th doctor was up until he finally walked into the uh, booth uh, to let Wilf out. Um, It feels a little less petulant this time. It feels more defiant. Um, And I will be interested to see how the 12th doctor and the first doctor appear. They appear to be set up to help each other out 
at Christmas time. And that may turn out to be a very delicious way to go. Yeah, I this final episode really for me set the mood for his regeneration um, and uh, really perfectly summed up his tenure on Doctor Who. Because I think if there's one way to describe Peter Capaldi, the man, it's kind. Like he is just an upstanding, wonderful, kind human being who loves this show, loves this role, and is so dedicated to the fans who love this show. I've seen the picture. I know you've met the man. You're not just blowing smoke here. No, I I have met him, and he is delightful. Um, He is just so thoughtful and caring. He wants everybody to get the utmost... out of every experience, um, you know, and I've, I've, you know, met him on my own, and I've met him at conventions. I've met him under quite possibly kind of terrible convention uh, experiences, actually. Um, and he handled overbooking and bad management from the convention like an absolute gentleman, you know, really trying to make everybody feel welcome as the staff was rushing us through this thing because they can't manage a photo shoot to save their lives. Like, he's the kindest, kindest person you could ever meet. And this really sums up him and his approach to the role and what his doctor has become. You know, that final speech to Missy and the Master about doing everything that he does just because it's kind was for me the perfect summation of the 12th doctor and of Peter Capaldi. Um, And I do like that we seem to be in for a little bit more of a hopeful uh, Christmas regeneration special. You know, I think one of the things that makes it hard with regeneration episodes is that we usually see the killing blow and the regeneration in the same episode. So there's tragedy followed by renewal. The tragedy has already happened in The Doctor Falls. So it's just about what convinces him to decide to regenerate, to continue living, to change. Um, And I really want to see that journey for The Doctor to not only reluctantly go through with a regeneration, but embrace it and uh, be willing to try again. So I'm excited for uh, our final episode with him. Uh, yeah, I can't go quite that far because it'll be our final episode with him. Oh, yeah, I'm going to cry. My, my, my glass is officially half empty here, Alyssa. Oh, mine is half full. I know I'm already most of the way gone, but I'm still looking forward to every last moment with him. Yeah. So series ten, uh, it was a meaty season. It was there was there was so much in there to chew on. Um, you probably shared this on the incomparable, but if you could repeat, what was your favorite one of the season? Thin Ice. I loved Thin Ice. I thought it was um, the best episode overall of the entire season. The plot was great. Um, Everything looked absolutely gorgeous on screen. Uh, The characters were so well written. The dynamic that uh, Sarah Dollard created between the Doctor and Bill was just absolutely far and away some of the best exploration of that Doctor companion character. dynamic that I've ever seen on screen. Um, So that far and away is my favorite one. How about you, Chip? I know better than to disagree with you on this one. (laughs) 
two votes for Thin Ice as the top episode of Series 10. Next week, if our schedules can align themselves, we will return to the Department of Received Fan Wisdom in Technicolor. And then, next week after that, we're going on vacation. It's been a long season. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. You can find us on Twitter at drwhothisweek. Chip is on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord, and I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at Hoovian Feminism. And you can find us on Facebook too. If you would like, please support This Week in Time Travel by subscribing, by letting other people know that we're out there, and even becoming a member of the Incomparable Podcast Network. Go to theincomparable.com/members. You can choose to support this show and others on the podcast network. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye.